Dr. Aliza Pressman is a developmental psychologist, parent educator, assistant clinical professor, and co-founder of both Mount Sinai Parenting Center and Seedlings Group. As a mother of two, she also hosts the podcast Raising Good Humans, where she shares her parenting advice from a clinical, academic, and mom perspective. Today, Aliza and I have a conversation all about my most recent parenting questions, like how to teach kids good work ethic over the summer, applying choices and consequences appropriately in parenting, using timeout effectively, teaching kids to respect adults, and how to talk to your kids about all the complex issues going on in the world right now. This interview was incredible, and I cannot wait for you guys to listen to and learn from Aliza today, too. All right. Today, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Aliza Pressman with me, and I am so thrilled to have her on this podcast. She has her own podcast, which I'm obsessed with. Even just the title is so good, Raising Good Humans, because I'm constantly thinking about how do, how do I make sure that my little humans are good people. So um, say hi, Aliza. Hi. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you in Zoom, in the Zoom universe. Yes. I'm so excited too. Let's talk about your background and how long you've been doing this and why you had an interest in helping people raise good humans. Well, I started to study human development before I had kids or anything. And I just felt, I actually was really interested in psychology and social emotional well-being but and how kind of brains grow but just intellectually and then i started that journey academically and had kids around the same time and so i really got obsessed with how much information is out there mm-hmm. but sort of either stuck in the dusty sort of well it's all online now but the kind of dusty world of academia or locked in the online world of academia and not out there for families. And so it just meant a lot to me that we have a lot of research. There's a lot we don't know. And so we can't do anything about that. And there's a lot that isn't in our control and we can't do anything about that. So I just got really excited that there are actually things in life that are in our control. Mm -hmm. And so for those things, I thought, hey, this should be easily accessible. And then the rest of the stuff, we have to just let ourselves be our own guides. And and I just thought, what a fun way to marry those two things, the science and your heart, and figure out what's best for your family. I love that. So after your academic studies, then you decided to open a practice or where where did you go after that? When I was in graduate school, after I finished my master's, I think I was pregnant during my doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my colleagues who had already finished was pregnant at the same time. And she was doing her postdoc at NYU by then. And kind of, we were steeped in research and pregnant. So we were kind of whispering and asking so many questions of each other. And we were like, it would be so nice to have... And like a place where moms could go and be together, but have the academic information just at the ready without forcing it on anyone. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you don't want that. You want, you know, your sister moms to give you information. Yes. And so we started these mom groups and we kind of built them with the ages of our babies. And they just kind of grew from that. And that was our private practice seedlings group. And it still exists. And we have moms in those groups that are 
the new moms of one baby and we have moms that have between them, you know, like I have one group that has their oldest are 12 um, or 13 and they have like 28 babies between this group of 10 women. And we've stayed together in this group every month for all these years. So it's really a beautiful opportunity to have these sacred relationships and science along with it. And I just love that. And I grow so attached to these parents, but also they grow so attached to each other and just, it's been incredible. And then I also wanted to teach and do academic stuff. So I started to work at Mount Sinai, which is a medical school and work on training care providers like pediatricians and social workers that are working in a hospital. And then from that, I grew to become very close with the pediatricians and realized that there was a lot of stuff, same thing, that was, there's a lot not in our control, but there is stuff that's in our control and how we could help families who come into the hospital who aren't going to have these mom groups necessarily or have mm-hmm. that kind of support, have get that from the providers at the hospital. So we started a parenting center there. So, so those cool. are those are my hats. Those are awesome. And I just, what a blessing to all these communities too, because it is very polarizing at the beginning of motherhood where you feel like, what is happening right now? <laughs> the baby's mm-hmm. crying all night. How do I do this? You know, does this diaper look normal? There's all kinds yeah. of, there's so many questions. So I don't even know how moms did it before the internet because I see moms asking these questions all the time in mom groups and stuff. So, well, I wonder, you know, sometimes I think it was probably somewhat easier because there weren't so many choices of, and yes. there weren't so many wagging fingers telling you what you were doing wrong or right. It was usually just like one wagging finger, maybe your mother-in-law, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but, but also there were villages and we just don't right. operate that way anymore. And so I, I think it's nice that there are now online communities that can support parents. And then hopefully people shut out the online communities that make them feel cruddy. Yeah. Gosh, that's that's so true. So I want to ask you, where did you get this inspiration to do a podcast called Raising Good Humans? Because I, like I said a second ago, I love that title because it Thank really you. is something I think about all the time. Like, please, can I just make sure that you leave my home for, for my four kids? I mean, one of them's just a tiny baby, but for all of them, I just think all the time, if I can just make sure that you are kind to people and that you're a good person by the mm-hmm. time you leave my house, then then we've really done something good here, you know? So where did that inspiration come? Kind of from, from that place of, I wanted to, um, I loved the idea of a platform like a podcast where you kind of don't have to have this formal academic presentation and it doesn't have to be in the privacy of these rarefied mom groups, which I love, but mm-hmm. they're kind of sacred, small environments. And I thought I'm probably, it would probably be easier for me from a time perspective to just have a, um, have this informal conversation. And I have so many colleagues who are just brilliant and inspiring. And I just wanted them to, and, and they don't do things outside of, you know, that are super accessible sometimes, or they do, they write beautiful books and they're incredible, but sometimes moms are 
and dads are too tired to read them. So I thought I'm going to call on all these brilliant people that I know and who inspire me as a learner and as a mother and as a colleague and invite them on the podcast and get these words out. And I thought about raising good humans because I thought, what is ultimately all of this about? I mean, of course, we talk about things like intellectual development and social development and emotional development. But ultimately, I thought, what is my North Star? And it's the same thing that you're saying, which is I, I will feel, what will make me feel like, okay, this this worked, this worked out. And it's that yes. I have, I've raised good humans, not great humans. They don't have to be superstars. They don't have to be great or perfect, just good. That is good. That is what I was looking for. And I thought, people. I can't be the only one. I can't yeah. be the only one. <laughs> I think that's every parent's ultimate goal. So I have some burning questions for you that I'm so excited to ask that I feel like I hear my friends talking about, I'm thinking about, especially right now. So I'm going to start off with my first question is okay. with kids and summer and trying to keep them busy and trying to teach them. When I think of back on what my parents taught me as a kid, I feel like it was such a gift that they taught me to work. And I'm mm. trying to teach my kids to do that because I don't want them to just like veg out all day or just feel like there's no, you know, there's no responsibility or there's whatever. I That's one of my biggest worries is that my kids, for sure, when I think about the rest of the world and how you know, I've seen kids in Africa and I've seen kids in the Dominican Republic. When you really get into those communities, the parents go off to work and the kids are just left to survive basically all day. And my kids have a very different environment that they're growing up in, you know, and I, which is such a blessing in some ways, but in other ways, I'm like, I want them to understand how to work. I want them to understand the value of a dollar. I want them to leave our home with some work ethic and not just we had so many comforts and luxuries that we never even figured out how to function. So in I guess in this summer season, I'm I'm thinking about that all the time. How can we teach our kids to work and to you know, not just feel like everything in the world works around them for them, mm-hmm. but they contribute So that's my first question. (laughs) That's a big one. (laughs) That's a big question. Um, So I think we can borrow from other communities, like you said, where we we tend to think of of our kids as very privileged and they have all of these amazing opportunities and we don't want them to take advantage of all of this and then think they can just sit around and not have a work ethic and not, you know, have purpose because Mm -hmm. you, you almost can't have purpose without competence and competence comes from getting good at things and you can't yes. get good at things without working at it. So it's interesting because when you borrow from other communities that have, where the kids do have opportunities to develop competence, you you can look at them in a different way, which is, oh, wow, kids are capable of a lot of things that we don't realize, but we have to give them that opportunity. So mm-hmm. I would say the first thing is sitting down and it's summer and there are a lot of constraints, particularly right now during the pandemic. So it's like, what can you even do? Right. Um, and so I think one thing to think about is what is our family mission and what do we really need to enforce over the summer and what structures do we want in place and what fun do we want in place and how mm-hmm. can we have kind of a family meeting about what makes sense for the kids? They should have some say in 
how they want to take on this accomplishment of working or, you know, and define work however you want. It could be an actual job, depending on their age, it could be an actual job. It could be working in the house. It could be taking on a challenge that they've set, you know, up in the beginning of the summer as like, this is something I'm not really good at, that I want to get better at. And this is Mm -hmm. my challenge. So however you want to define work, I think you sit down with the kids, define it for each one based on their age and what's appropriate for them. And then structure the summer. Like, okay, so how often are you going to do this work? And how many days a week are you going to do it? And what times? And let's put that in writing so that you don't have to argue about it or complain about it. It's just there. And we don't need to have tension as parent-child because we just made this commitment. And you can make other commitments like the fun stuff. And then you develop that good sense of look, I took this on. I wasn't necessarily thrilled about it, but mm-hmm. I did it. And I knew what to expect. It wasn't a surprise and it didn't, didn't change. I think if you come in like, okay, today I just realized that my kids are totally spoiled and I need them to work and you kind of give them 20 things to do. They're going to feel very defensive. Mm-hmm. But if you start as like a family conversation, all right, this was important to me. And I like what you said, you know, this is something I really appreciated that my parents gave me. And I want to give that to you guys. Let's figure out a way to do that. That feels good for all of us. Yeah. I love that advice and involving them too, because when we, at least as parents, Neil and I, when we involve our kids in you know, they're kind of setting up some of the structure or some of the rules or whatever. They're much more inclined to to go with it or to stick with it. Absolutely. it It's so key. And you can start as young as three years old with that because, you know, if you include them and it's not that you're permissive and you're like, you could do whatever you want. It's more like, here's what has to happen. How do you see this happening? What, mm. you know, even as they get older and you're talking about, you know, how much screen time they can have, you can still ask them for their feedback and like what they want and what they hope for. It doesn't mean that you're going to say yes, but when you include them, they feel heard and then they internalize it like it matters and they're going to do it and they're going to follow these directions much better than if you just were like, here's what you're going to do. Because that's basically just setting up rebellion. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah. And I think as we've tried to do, we need to do more of the, what do you want to become better at? And let's set a goal because usually it's like, here are the jobs that we need done around the house and, you know, pick a couple and you be part of the, we call it the family economy. But I love the idea of having them pick something that they want to become better at and feeling that sense of accomplishment after they've worked toward, you know, developing a skill or something. So yeah, that's such a great idea. And that way you can kind of do it too. As a parent, you could say, this is what I'm taking on as my challenge this summer. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay, so- Yours was having a baby. Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm just in survival mode still. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, okay, so choices and consequences. This is something that Mm -hmm. my husband and I talk about all the time because we're like, okay, we don't want the consequence to be a punishment, but we want our kids to understand that their choices have consequences. Mm -hmm. We're constantly trying to come up with consequences that are appropriate. What's your advice for parents when you talk to them about this topic? It's such a fraught topic because sometimes parents really want a punishment because they just feel like I need this kid to know they cannot do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But the truth is what you're, you're really onto something, which is it needs to make sense. Punishment for the sake of just like convincing your kids never to do that again 
has never worked throughout history. It's yeah. gotten kids to be really good at lying. Yeah. Right. Like they can hide things better because they're like, I definitely don't want to get punished. In trouble. Mm-hmm. In trouble. So, and especially as, you know, kids get older and they can get into real trouble, you want them to tell you when they get into trouble. You don't want them to be avoiding telling you things because they don't want to get in trouble. So I think consequences that are natural are easier for parents and kids to process anyway and learn from because they make sense. So when you um, do something, you can think, you know, you and your husband can think about this, the kids can think about this. What's, what's happening? So if I I'm trying to think of a misbehavior of some kind that would have a consequence. Like you break something mm-hmm. or you, that feels very accidental. Can you oh, think of a specific no. one that's oh, happened? Yes. yes. Or on purpose. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just say that an undisclosed child in our home who was definitely old enough to know what she was doing. I, I, I can't quite figure out what was going on in her mind, but I think it was something along the lines of, I wonder what will happen if I take scissors to this like rat rat and chair is that what you call it? A rat Rattan, the the rattan, rattan chairs that are like you. that are yes. made of like yes They're something like you can woven. cut yeah. yes and so she cut a bunch of pieces of that off and I came in and was like uh oh my God. you are, you are not two years old you know what yeah. scissors do you knew this was not right so but a two hundred dollar chair for a child who's in elementary school that's that's a lot for them to replace because you're yeah. thinking, okay, if I damaged a chair at someone else's home in a business or at school or something, you'd probably be expected to replace it. So, right. So in that case, so a natural consequence, the first natural consequence there is you don't use scissors in the way that I expected that you could at this age. So we have to pare back on our freedom mm-hmm. with you and put them away out of sight from you. Like you don't have access. I thought you were old enough. We're going to get, we'll, we'll circle back to this in a little while, but we got to take away the freedom that you had to just get the scissors or have access to things. So that's the first consequence is removing those freedoms that kids expect to have mm-hmm. that seem little to us. Like it doesn't feel like a big deal. It feels like a big deal to a kid. If you say, oh, you can't use scissors anymore. That's like, or if they drew on the wall, okay, so it turns out you can't draw by yourself. You need a grown up sitting with you. I didn't realize that. I know you can do better in the future, but right now we're going to only use crayons or scissors or whatever it is that was destructive when there's a grown up there. Mm-hmm. So that's the easiest kind of consequence. And then I think, depending on the age, I mean, if you want your child to contribute to replacing it or repairing it, you could do some extra work to Mm -hmm. just show them like, okay, well, once a week, what do you think of doing X, Y, or Z that's helpful to me around the house? It's extra from the chores that you already do. And you can earn, you know, some money back to, to pay for the chair. That's certainly a natural consequence, but I don't actually think it's necessary. I think just taking away the, the natural freedom that came with the being able to access materials that are destructive is fine. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a big thing. Like when you have a freedoms list, mm-hmm. I actually just um, posted this freedoms list on Instagram and talked about it because when you tell a kid, and you could do this from age three to 30, mm-hmm. <laughs> they probably won't talk to you about it when they're 30, but three <laughs> to 18, what are some things that you really wish you had access to or freedom to do mm-hmm. at your age? 
let's, let me write all those down. So with the younger kids, you'd help them write it. And with the older kids, they would just write it down. You look at it and you read it out loud and you don't judge, but you get a sense of like what they really hope to have in terms of like autonomy and independence. And you say, the more you can do the things that show me that you can be responsible with those freedoms, the more I'm going to tick off those freedoms list, those things from the freedoms list and allow them. And then if and when the time comes that it turns out you weren't able to handle it, we, we can't have that be one of your freedoms. And so in this case, it was scissors. In another case, it might be an iPad. You never know. But I think as long as you look at the consequences in terms of something that makes sense that naturally occurred, you're fine. It's like if you are mean to someone, the natural consequences, they might not want to hang out with you. If your kid, if you're holding your kid and they punch you in the face, the natural consequences, you still love them, but you're putting them down because you're protecting yourself. So these little things that don't seem like enough of a punishment to some parents, they really do teach a lesson because they make sense. And then you don't have to like go on and on with, okay, you're grounded or whatever. back to something you said a minute ago when you said this works from age three mm-hmm. um, and you and then you brought up the example of if your kid punches you then you set them down my sister just was visiting with me the other day because she has a toddler I have a toddler that's almost the exact same age she's got a he just turned two mine's about to turn two so they're not quite three but we were talking about time out you know uh-huh. and and as they get older and is that effective and how long is it effective and what makes a timeout effective versus like you're annoying me i'm going to put you in a room where i don't have to be around you so mm-hmm. because i feel like sometimes it almost feels like a win to my kids when they yeah. like are acting up and then they get out of dishes or something like that because then we're like hey you go sit in timeout versus you know what what makes a timeout effective versus effective. What is it? When are you kind of actually rewarding the kid? Because I've definitely seen that with my kids sometimes. Uh huh. Okay. There's so much to unpack about this. <laughs> I'm I'm excited about this question. Okay. So I want to address three things. The first okay. is what a timeout really is. Okay. The second is how to do an effective timeout, and the third is what you hope to accomplish. And actually, I'm going to start with the third, and we'll work our way okay. backwards. So, the first thing is. You want to, and you said it feels like a win for them. And I think that that's really important because when you think about a timeout or anything with the kids, mm-hmm. you, and we all do this, so there's no zero judgment. I'm, I probably did it earlier today with this thinking of like, if, if I don't take a stand right now, or if I, you know, leave them alone, like they wanted me to, cause I have older kids. So it is a reward to be like, well then sit in your room. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're but, like, peace out mom. Exactly. But the thing is, is that if we can get out of our heads, the idea that they won something and think of it, like, it's not that one of us wins because if we win, they lost. Mm, And, and so in a way, because we're on the same team, we both want to win. Like we want to win. We want our kids to win. And so if we reframe the, the way timeouts are thought of, or any punishment is thought of, it is a teaching moment to help your child build a new skill that they didn't have before. And that's the win. And so the win with the, 
with the timeout is they learned that when they're out of control, there is a way for them to get back in control Mm. and to calm down. Okay. And that's what we want out of the timeout. And sometimes the timeout is really a timeout for us so that we don't lose our temper with them. And so that we can just like get out of just fuming because it just feels like active. It's like, and so that goes to how to do an effective one, which is a timeout is really one of two things. Either it's a behavior modification thing, which in that case is not very effective, but it can take you away from the heat of the moment quickly. And so for, for a few moments, it's effective, but it needs to be, there's a ton of research oddly on timeouts. Hmm. They're not particularly effective before the age of two. Okay. Kids don't have the self-regulation to actually go to a timeout. Yeah. And if they're to be effective, it needs to be something you practice outside of the context of the heat of the moment. So on a happy moment in time, you know, in the day, you would say, you know how sometimes you lose control over your body and you hit your brother or your cousin or whatever. So when that happens, we're going to do a body break or a timeout or whatever you want to call it. And that means that I'm just going to point to an area in the room that you can sit calmly with your body or stand calmly with your body for about 10 to 20 seconds so that we can all take a few deep breaths and really regroup. Mm. And then you say, let's practice. Let's pretend you hit bear. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. And like you do a pretend play moment. And this sounds really counterintuitive to say, okay, you hit bear hitting hurts. You need to take a 20 second time out. Please stand right over there. And then you say to them like, okay, go over there. And you kind of motion to them to help them walk through it. And they're, and they can, cause they're pretend play right now. They haven't done anything wrong. There's no emotions Yeah, and it might even be fun for them. Right. And then yeah, they my go kids love role play. Like they yeah. just eat that up. <laughs> so they'll eat it up and they'll be like, okay. And then you say, okay, take four deep breaths. Count to four when you breathe in, four when you breathe out okay, stay there really quiet and do that. Then they do it. And really quickly, you could give them a thumbs up and you say, Mm -hmm. great, you did it. You stayed in your timeout, come on back. And that's it. There's no caboosing. Caboosing is when you add a punishment onto a punishment by then when they come back, you go, and now let's talk about what was wrong with it. And let's talk about how you can apologize and all those things because Mm. it disincentivizes them to go into their timeout or to get punished at all because they're like, it's just gonna, I'm just gonna keep on hearing it. So oh, interesting. it's very counterintuitive. So when a timeout is effective, it's immediate right after the thing occurred. It cannot be about emotions. So let's say somebody wants to give a timeout because a child is tantruming. It's not mm-hmm. gonna work because they're already in a brain space where they can't hear you, they can't see. They're just, you know, if you've ever scream. If you try this exercise, like scream and have somebody talk to you, you can't hear them. It's yeah. just pointless. Yeah. And so they're seeing red and you're like, you have to take a time out. It doesn't help them calm down. Our goal is to get them to learn this beautiful thing that we get to do to keep ourselves from doing crazy, stupid things, which is mm-hmm. going from being really reactive and upset to responding calmly. You can't do that when you're really upset. And that's when we do stupid things. Yeah. So this timeout is only really addressing this practice of going from holy crazy to, okay, I can calm down. Then you come on back. You're not hitting anybody anymore. And we start over. So a timeout happens right away. If you do it like two hours later, 
because you heard they did something, it's not effective. Mm. It should be very much about not giving attention, more extra attention. So like if you're doing, I saw once on this TV show, I can't remember what it was. It was like nanny nine one one or something mm-hmm. like that. And she was like, if the child hits, you take them physically to their timeout. And you, if they come out of their timeout, you bring them back. There were like 10 kids well-behaved. And then this one kid who was hitting and just getting dragged back and forth in and out of timeout. And I was like, if you're doing this for behavior modification, you're basically teaching them to keep going <laughs> out of the because time. It's getting attention. It's getting so yeah. much attention. So that doesn't work. And if you're doing it to teach mindful calmness, it's just heating them up. I'd rather you say, you need to take a body pause. We're all going to do it. I'm going to do it too. <sighs> okay. Now come on back. The reason I did that is because you cannot hit and hitting hurts. We need to keep our hands to ourselves. And that's it. So it doesn't feel as satisfying to the parent who feels like, well, how is that telling them the lesson? But that's the lesson that they learn. The actual lesson of getting themselves back to making good decisions because they've regulated. If you try to yell at them because you feel better because you were like, well, I showed them, (laughs) you did not. Right, right. Well, that's a, okay. First of all, just to address that, I love that advice. I think that's super helpful because yeah, I've definitely noticed that sometimes the tantrums, my kid's just looking for the attention. So. Yeah. And there's something else going on. Yes, totally. So that does lead me though, to another question that I wanted to ask that you just segued into when you said some people just want to yell and then it's like, I showed them or now they know who's in a you know, who the authority is in charge. Yes. And this is another thing my husband and I talk about all the time because we grew up more in, you know, our parents had the like, okay, you're going to get spanked or more. Right. Right. right? And then my parents were more like it softened with them and and with Neil's parents, Mm -hmm. but it was still the you respect adults because you're, you know, like you're going to be in trouble if you don't respect the adults, you know. And now I feel like the even with our generations, it has softened even more where I, mm. you don't hear a lot about kids getting spanked. And, yes. and I think that's a good thing. It is. But then is. I look at my kids sometimes and I'm like, some of the behavior that they think is okay, I'm like, my parents would have kicked my butt if I had acted like that. Right. And so I want my kids to respect adults. I especially worry when they go out of our home, if they think it's okay to treat their teachers that way or other adults yeah. in other situations. But I don't want them to learn that out of like fear and intimidation. I love this. I love this too. Because you're right. There, there was, there is a style. Mm-hmm. And I really try to talk about parenting stuff without imposing a particular style, because I think like, here's the information and then it has to work for you. But there is this one style of fear-based parenting that backfires so much that I, it's hard for me not to want to promote a shift. And here's why when you do the thing that you're talking about, which is like, you can't do this, you're going to get spanked or the, anything that's Mm fear-based. Again, it doesn't stop kids from doing that. It stops kids from doing that in front of you. It stops them from, from being rude to people in front of you, but it doesn't teach them to be kind. It doesn't teach them the right thing to do. And it, it actually can make it so that, you know, you go to a parent teacher conference 
and you find out at school, your kid is terrible, (laughs) but at home, they're really well-behaved. And that's not what we want. We want our kids to know they're safe at home and they go out into the world and they're like, oh, I need to put my best face forward. And so that's because, so, so you get a better, you, you want to go to your parent teacher conference and, and they say these wonderful things about your kid and you go, wait, my kid is a really good listener and like puts their desk in and cleans up after themselves and is respectful to others. What? Because that's where they know to do it. And so the way to that path is you absolutely still need to have the boundaries. You still can't, you still can have the expectation. Like we can't talk like that to people. It's hurtful and it's rude. And so let's try that again. And so every single time they come in the room with a demand or they say, you know, give me something without saying, please, you don't need to yell at them. You just say, do you want to try that one more time? Or please try that one more time. And they'll know what you mean. And you never relent. And you're always, you don't, you know, there are a lot of kids now that are like, give me this or do this for me. And it's very, it's very demanding. And I Mm -hmm. think if you can say, Hey, I know that you're having a tough day. And so it feels like I just want this fixed or you just need to do this, but I still need you to say it in a respectful tone. And you, every single time that happens, you, you give them the understanding first. I get mm-hmm. it. You're cranky. I get yeah. it. You're tired. I know this is hard. You've been, you know, separated from your friends for a long time, whatever it is, your stress. I still need you to do X, Y, or Z. And that's the key is you connect with them and you understand their feelings, but you don't say, so what am I going to do? You know, or well, kids will be kids. That's where we get into trouble. So Mm -hmm. you do the thing that your parents expected, which is, Hey, you need to be respectful, but you say it in a way where it's like, I respect you too. I can see what's going on here. You're in a, in a headspace that's not working. So you're snapping at me. I need you to say it in a different way. And then I'm happy to listen, but I can't listen. I want to understand you. It's not happening in this voice. And that's enough as long as you're consistent and that you don't cave and go like, oh, fine, here's, I'm just going to do what you want because I just can't listen to this anymore. Yeah. Oh, I, I need to get better about that validating their little feelings because I know that I know that, you know, my kids are allowed to have a bad day or to be frustrated or to have feelings about I've even I've been doing therapy because I'm battling postpartum depression and my amazing therapist, you know, keeps reminding me nobody's at their best when a brand new baby enters the family. And so I've been trying to give my kids a little more grace of like, I'm not at my best, so I can't expect them to be at their best. They're trying to deal with new, you know, everything shifting in their whole entire world too. But I need to be better about validating their feelings because sometimes I'm just like, why are you so, like, why are you being so difficult right now? You were so much easier two months ago. So, um, And it's just a second because I I think what you're going through, not that I would wish that upon anybody because it's so hard to go through all that, have four kids and have to deal. Yeah. But but you're taking care of it, which is such a, you know, it's such a beautiful message that you're letting your listeners in on how critical it is to take care of yourself right now. Like that you're the center and, and you need to take care of yourself. And this happens to so many women who don't have the access or knowledge, or, you know, you've been there, you've, you've, this is not your first rodeo. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to do the things that you need to do to make sure that you can come out of this and take care of yourself. 
but it also gives you space to do exactly what you said, which is to say, wow, none of us are at our best right now. So let's think about where we're all operating from. And our brains are all operating from a stress brain because we're all feeling threatened. We have a new baby in the house. We have lots going on. There's so much that feels scary. Mm -hmm. And so our natural response is to either fight, flight, or freeze. That's what Mm -hmm. we do. And so if we do that and we have a fully developed brain that has access to that prefrontal cortex that tells us, hey, it's all okay. Mm -hmm. Like when you go into a stress response as an adult, you have this big brain that goes, wait, I checked it out. You're actually okay. There's nobody chasing you. A bear is not coming for you. You can can take a pause for a second and make a better choice. But that's hard work. And if you don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex to do that hard work, you need an adult to help you practice every day for your whole life. And then you're going to be really good at it, but it's hard work. So if we remember that our kids feel there's, they're also being chased, but Mm. they don't have that voice that says, Hey, I know it feels like you have to fight or run away or just do nothing, but actually this is not that. Let's take a break. Let's take a breath. What are you asking for right now? Or what do you need right now? then they're going to get that exercise for that big brain muscle so that they can do it later. And I think we all as adults need to remember, okay, shoot, if I'm losing my mind right now and I have all the equipment that can keep me from losing my mind, then this is really hard for kids. And also they can have boundaries and they shouldn't talk to you like that. And they don't need to, even if they're having a bad day, they don't need to be destructive. And so it's both because then you can empathize and help them get back to calm. But you don't have to say like, I guess, you know, I remember my aunt said to me, I'm like selling her down the river when I say this, but um, (laughs) she said to me when my cousins were way younger, like 30 years ago, she was like, my cousin was really rude to her, who's grown up to be a wonderful, amazing gentleman. (laughs) But he was so rude to her and I was like floored by it. And she said, he's having a really, you know, he has a long day where he has to behave. And so he comes home and I just let him be mean. And I was like, ew, I don't like that. But, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I was just a little kid then. But what I was responding to was like, she was missing the boundary. Like she had the understanding, Mm -hmm. but then she still missed that boundary of like, hey, I do understand you've had this long day. Also, no, you can't talk to me like that. So let's figure out a different way to do it. I think when we have compassion for our kids and we operate from that space of like, oh, you don't have this ability yet to control your temper. Mm-hmm. I got to help you with that. Or you don't have the ability to know that when you talk to me like that, it's actually not going to get you anywhere close to what you want. I got to help you do this better. We do better at discipline because we use it to teach them to be better people instead of to punish them. Yeah. I love that. Very long answer. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Don't be sorry. That That's so helpful and just something I need to get better at. And I think that it's like putting all of those puzzle pieces together that's really helpful to see, okay, maybe you've got this part down, but you're missing this part and it helps to have it all come together so that your kids are getting the full, all, all of the support that they need to yeah. develop those skills. And also you're going to blow it. I just want to say that 
because it's so much to do. And so mm-hmm. you'll definitely, we'll all blow it all the time. Yeah. We're just, our intention is to try to have the sensitivity and support while we're really strict with our boundaries. And sometimes it's going to not happen and that's okay. We ha- we can't like beat ourselves up for it, but on balance, you just want to more often than not try that. Yeah. I love that. So I want to ask you another thing too, that's been on my mind. And that is with younger kids, because most of this conversation has been about like younger kids, or I guess this could apply to anyone. What do you think? Because I understand the stress I'm under with the pandemic and with like, you know, a reformation, which I think is a great thing, but a political unrest, there's just so much going on. How do you think that's affecting young kids? Because I think that we think they're oblivious and they're not being affected, but I, but they kind of are. Yes. Uh, I think the first thing, not to put too much pressure on us, but I think they're definitely looking to us to determine what to think about mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. Which is why I highly recommend turning off the news in front of them mm. and only having them really learn from our response to the world and not all the nonsense that the news is trying to give us. And also it's just too much. It's like stressful for any of us. Right. Um, But I do think it's really hard for me to come to terms with what it must be like to be a little kid and look at this world of half faces, (laughs) you know, everybody's kind of covered up and scared and stressed out. Mm-hmm. And I think if they know from us that A, this is about not scaring them, that they're going to be hurt or something, that this is really like asking them to protect other people. It's an opportunity for them to be empowered as kids, which is very unusual to yeah. protect people, like to be little protectors of the world. And that's what we're asking of them so that they can feel pumped up by it. Like if they have to wear a mask somewhere, which they don't when they're really little, but with the older kids, if they have to, mm-hmm. and I don't know where you are, but I'm in New York. So Southern California, we're supposed to, but, I think so from, it's a mess. Yeah. yeah. I think from like ages two on, which I'm like, my two-year-old will never wear a mask, but, but my, you know, five-year-old and seven-year-old, they can wear a mask and they, yeah. they're willing to, and they understand why we need to do that and why it's important. And so it can be much less scary if they understand it and they feel kind of confident, like, oh, and they can like maybe tie dye their own mask, which Mm -hmm. you probably don't have time to do right now, but like, (laughs) um, or they can, you know, cut one out of an old shirt or whatever, like kind of make it a little bit of a, a fun thing for them. And also that our attitude is a helping attitude, not an anger attitude or like a, you know, scared, terrified whole generation of germaphobe attitude. Like this is really about helping the world. I think if we reframe it that way, it really does help them. And then Mm -hmm. also it teaches them at a young age, like social responsibility. Oh, we're not the only people in the world. We actually have to think about other people. And when we do that, you know, and, and here are the ways we can do that. And so I love the idea that they can think about how their small actions actually have an impact. And it's also just de-stressing ourselves so that they understand this is a time, this is a moment in time. It's a sure long moment, but it is a moment. Mm-hmm. And we're all kind of, I think we have to acknowledge to them that we're all a little bit, we have a little unease because we don't know the answers to questions we usually know the answers to. 
And so if we say like, I'm not totally sure, and that's really a scary feeling, I get it because mm-hmm. you're not used to me not knowing things, but I could tell you that I'm going to tell you when I have information and I'll tell you when to worry. Oh, that's such good advice. Yeah. I, I'm sure my kids need to hear that because I've been thinking lately, this has to be so confusing for them, but I don't want to tell them to, I don't want to worry them about things they don't need to worry about, but I also don't want them. I, I distinctly remember the OJ Simpson trial ending when I was a kid and being like, what does this mean? Because all the adults were talking about it. Does that mean there's like murderers all around me? Does that mean my dad's seems like a good guy, but he's really going to murder my mom? I remember just having crazy thoughts only because all of the grownups were talking about it and nobody was explaining it to the kids. I love that you told that story because that story is like the in such insight into the mind of a kid. If we don't tell them things that they're going to hear about, they have mm-hmm. a wild imagination. And so yes. you're like that that idea that you were like, wait, does does this translate to my dad's going to murder my mom? Uh-huh. And I was a nice guy. Like <laughs> kids come up with the craziest stuff. So if we don't say anything to them, but they are keenly aware something's up. Mm-hmm. So I always start with, so tell me what you know. Mm-hmm. And that way we know what they're thinking before we go giving them too much information. It's like the birds and the bees talk. You don't want to have that and go too far. You want to know where they're at and then mm-hmm. work off of that. And then tell me what your questions are. Those are two good safe ways for parents that are nervous about saying too much or too little to have mm-hmm. conversations. Tell me what you know and tell me what questions you have. Okay. I love that advice. That's such good advice. Well, I feel like I could talk to you all day long, but I know that you have a lot going on and um, you have more going on. <laughs> we all do. Everyone's busy, you know, but I'm going to address. Um, I have one last question for you and then I'll have people go to your podcast to learn more from you because you're amazing. But you. my last question is if there's one message that parents that are listening to this come away from and remember, what do you want that one message to be? Wow. I think my. My one message would be all feelings are okay. All behaviors are not. Mm. Even all feelings are welcome. I like to say all behaviors are not because that way we're not judging the feelings like the anger and the sad and all the things that lead to the behaviors that we're trying to fix, but we can still contain the behaviors. And that's, I think the, the thing that you can always go back to when you're trying to decide like, what are the consequences here? Or what should we be doing in this conversation? It's just like, did I welcome the feeling, but did I contain the behavior? That is beautiful. I love that so much. Oh, this conversation has been incredible. So I am so grateful for your time here. So grateful I'm for the so advice you gave me. I'm so grateful to be here and to talk to you, especially when you're just new out of this, having another baby. So thank you. No, it's this has been such a gift to me. So thank you. Where can people find you if they want more of your advice and your wisdom and all the good things that you're offering to parents? I am on Instagram on Raising Good Humans podcast. And I try to put little bits on there. Um, and then the podcast itself. And I also am on at Seedlings Group, my private practice. We have a, an Instagram that has just parenting tips on it. And so that's fun. And 
I don't really go on any other social media because it's too overwhelming. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. So I will link to those sources so that the parents listening to this can find you. And again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was really a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.